Hello, good evening, and welcome to another episode of The Locker Room here on Indie Live Radio on a Friday night with Michael and Matthew um, all the way till 7 o'clock tonight. Um, so we'll just dive in because it's been a better week for football. And I wonder, Matthew, I wonder what story we'll begin with this week. You get any ideas? Well, I was laughing before this because we were talking about um, the fact that I finally opened my ukulele set. So Michael set up an idea about we, we've dedicated a song to like Lennon, Strachan and Kennedy. And it's called Three Blind Mice. Three Blind Mice. <laughs> See how they coach. <laughs> See how they coach. <laughs> You know, nobody will, you know nobody will take this show seriously. It's all about the banter. Oh, well, I think, I think for uh, well, from a certain point of view, I think someone needs to just uh, mm-hmm. cheer up the place because it's been a pretty miserable uh, Celtic Park in Lennox Town for the last, well, the last, what, how many months? <laughs> Six Since months, seven months. The season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe they should get us around to do the, the little song for them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean honestly, I mean there's I mean we've obviously spoken about Celtic for a long time on this show. Um and we've spoken about the problems that they've had up to this point. And I think really it comes down to two things. I think obviously you can talk about this season in isolation and we'll move on to that sort of thing in a minute. But I think for Celtic as as a fan base, I think we need to be looking at the longer term picture. Um and you know he might. This person might get paid the wages of a top-level English Premier League chief executive, but I think you have to look at Peter Lawwell, who really is every inch a small-time operator in a very big, large Celtic role. Um, you know, I think for for how many years? I think he's been here seventeen years now. I think when you look back at his sort of control with chief executive of the club. I think you've seen Celtic maybe alternate between creeping incrementally forward a little bit, what seems to be forward, and then just when you think Celtic are maybe going forward a little bit, they revert back to where they were before. If not this year, they've reverted back to possibly where they were under John Barnes. So they've even went into a sort of reverse that was even worse than where Peter Lawwell took up the reins. So I think... Over the years, Peter Lawwell on a personal level has probably mistook his dominance or the Celtics' dominance in his time as being due to his decisions. When actually, when you look at it, I think maybe all he's done is tread water, if not deep down going backwards. Because when you think about Celtic as a, as a club, the only two times really that I think Celtic have been successful on a large level, professional level, have been under Gordon Strachan way, way back uh, when Martin O'Neill couldn't work with uh, Peter Lawwell, actually. So O'Neill walked out along with um, his coaching team. I know his wife was unwell, but he also walked out because he couldn't deal really with the stress of working under Lawwell. So Strachan came in and Brendan Rodgers obviously came in and brought a, a line of professionalism that was there. But when you think about that, those decisions were effectively made by Dermot Desmond. So... The only successes Lawwell's had is when Dermot Desmond has had a direct impact in that choice. But apart from that, Lawwell's just seen us going into a sort of reverse spiral in Europe. Um, When you think about Rangers as well, the argument that Rangers have obviously, whether they've appeared or not appeared or the same club and all that is irrelevant. If you take the fact that Rangers were away for 
eight of those years of Lowell's reign. Um, really, what you've seen is, in essence, a club starting on zero money, and in the bottom league, you've been able to overtake Celtic in eight years from being in Division 3 to 20 points ahead. It just shows you the chronic lack of ambition in the club, not only domestically, but also in European terms. And this year, I think the chickens have came home to roost um, for Celtic on, an over, on a long-term level. And his interview apology last week was arrogant and obviously thinking about season ticket sales coming up because he's not read the mood in the room. But also this year, when you think about some of the worst results Celtic have had, you know, on one hand, they're, they're saying, you know, our 10 in the row still in the goal, we'll keep Lennon, but the results have been poor, but then actually not releasing any statement about that, but selling Celtic Christmas jumpers and things like that. It's utter brass neck from, from Peter Lawwell. And I think, you know, if he is a, if Neil Lennon is to go and he, Peter Lawwell is to continue in this vein, his policy for the last 17 years, and does appoint a new manager, I don't think you'll see much changes in Celtic unless Dermot Desmond takes control again and does Peter Lawwell's job for him. So I think Celtic do need change, but I think that change has to come from top down. I don't think it, the I don't think the disaster that has been Celtic is just Neil Lennon's fault in this one particular year. I think the seeds of this has been coming for a long, long time. And like I said, I think the chickens are coming home to roost this year. And finally, Celtic fans are waking up to what's been going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right in every kind of point that you made, Graham, Matthew. Just, just a few points. I think maybe we... Was Peter Lowell's interview last week? or this, No, it was last week, wasn't it? Aye, last week. Um, and I think I said this to you on the show last week. I can't remember, but I definitely said this to you tonight before we came on air, was... Um, why did Peter Lowell not do the interview with the whole media? Why did he only choose Celtic TV to do it? And do you think it was because he'd done it in Celtic TV was to get a, a kind of the easy ride or over, you know, the easy questions um, asked by Jerry McCulloch, kind of like uh, working in-house for Celtic TV and stuff? Um, you know, um, and... I, I watched that interview as well, Matthew, and I thought it was very short and I didn't really answer most of the most of the questions. And um but I think everybody's um surprised that in the media about um a use the word uh, has been what 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 did you use again? Uh, fairly uncritiqued or what what was the word that you used in the interview again? Um I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think he was kind of apologetic. Well, it's like we were saying last week, he, he was apologetic, but not really apologetic. Yeah. And, you know, the word you were searching for, I, th- I can't really remember the words he used myself, but the, no. yeah, you're right. The whole the whole justification was that, yeah, we did wrong and we're sorry, but actually we've been hard treated in the press and, and yeah, this has yeah. been going on for some time. So, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I think that was a word that he used, Matthew, um, fairly kind of like unclear in a way. And then you go on to Neil Lennon's interview because obviously he came out of isolation and he had to f- um, face the media for the Livingston game on Wednesday night. Um, for I think that game takes care of itself a wee bit. But, um, you know, and Neil Lennon, 
and Miss Lynette's day, I was making front and back page headlines, and you know, I wasn't looking good for Celtic, um, and all that because, um, it, it was a uh, what I would say was a, it was a cage, uh, it was a kind of like cage animal in a way, it was a bull in a china shop. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that I get. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean. Well, I, would, I don't know if you could have Neil Lennon in different captions. You know, I think that advert you're talking about does the bill not end up in space? And that you could have Neil Lennon shouting in space, firing away on <laughs> a meteor and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I mean Neil. I think Peter Lawwell, like I said, I've I've given out the reasons why I think this is just not Neil Lennon's fault in isolation. Um, and you know it has been a disaster this year for Neil Lennon, and I think again at the start of this year, I think it comes down to the fact that Lawwell has given power to people in that club that aren't necessarily Neil Lennon, and these people, whoever it is, whether it's you know Kennedy or whoever the speculation is, have chosen a lot of these players that have came in this year. Your likes of Barkas, your likes of Ayeti, and um, these are players that Lennon didn't necessarily want. But these are the players he was given, and he's had to try and coach this side, these players, along with players that clearly don't want to be at Celtic. And like I said to you off air, you know, this, the Fennec Barros was the start of this tumble down that's been quite obviously open, and we've all seen the tumble down effect after Fennec Barros. But Lennon made interesting points as if to say, well, some players don't want to be here, that these players should be shown the door if they don't want to be here. I honestly think that obviously people above Lennon have kept these players in the club and they clearly don't want to be there. Their performances have showed that they don't want to be here. Lennon's been left of that and he can't put a team together that are actually wanting to play for him or play for Celtic. And I think if Lennon had his way after Fennec Varos, you might have seen a better result because some of these negative influences within Celtic would be gone and Lennon would be dealing with players who just wanted to be at the club. Um, that would be my first but I think he has lost the changing room. He should have left in October. But again, Lawwell and Dermot Desmond, almost despite the fans, kept them there longer than they should. It's a disaster. Lennon obviously doesn't want to leave because Lennon's waiting to be paid a fair salary for or a fair compensation package for, for him to go. And why should mm. they walk out? I mean, I wouldn't walk out of my job if I knew that I was going to get compensation at the end of it. I think, mm. you know, he's he's he personally is in, in the rights to stay and wait for Celtic to do something. But going on what's happened, I think he'll be waiting a long time for the PLC and Dermot Desmond to do anything. So he might well be there still in May. But no, go on, Michael, sorry. No, no, I was, I was just going to say, um, so that's kind of off the park, Matthew. <laughs> we haven't really spoke about it on the park yet. Um, well, as I, well I was going to... Well, yeah. I was going to get to your point though because I know you brought up the media conference. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I was, I was going to get to that yeah. because of the build up to it. And I know you sort of mentioned that. Well, as you as you put it, a disaster. Um, you know, and, and what was interesting about what you mentioned about the press conference was to me, it was perfectly clear from the minute he walked into there that he was going to. I think he'd had enough. I think he knows his time up, and he just thought, I'm not going to let Peter Lawwell get away with this sort of apologetic. Uh, you know, I'm sorry for things Lennon's done sort of line. He just went for it. Now, whether it's right or wrong, that's up to your own opinion. But he went for it. He, you know, Monday, he like you said, he returned from self-isolation. He, he faced the media and he criticised the media. He criticised the pundits. He criticised the Scottish government uh, just days after that apology. Um, you know, I think he was basically saying, you know, everybody's negative. 
you know. I think the whole... I think the word that you're looking for here, Mafia, is a ticking time bomb. Well, I mean, redheads are known to be explosive, and you know, I think he was. You know, I think his words were, you know, he said he did not abuse any privilege. There was no privilege at Celtic Park whatsoever. He said they did the right things. Uh, he said they were professional. He said that they had a little drink in the afternoon on the off day, but that was completely allowed. There was no law breaking. Um, he actually said that the Scottish press and the Scottish government were basically hypocrites for what they were saying. And he said that the fallout was way too much and that Lennon didn't agree with uh, Peter Lawwell. And he said that he didn't agree that an apology was warranted. Um, now, obviously, yeah, he didn't agree with Lawwell. Lawwell said that he was apologetic for the trip. Lennon said he wasn't. Uh, I think Kennedy, the week before, had said that there was breaches of COVID on the trip. Yeah. Lennon says there wasn't. So there was a lot of... I think Lennon had basically come out and said that there was an agenda probably against him and the media, but against Celtic as a whole. But I think he was probably hinting there's an agenda within Celtic because I think, you know, we've discussed Kennedy going against Lennon a little bit this year. Kennedy came up and said there was breaches Lawwell's come out and said that apology was needed. Lennon said there wasn't. So the interview, I think, even though it was explosive and even though I think it's now been criticised by the Scottish government, I think John Sweeney's came out and said basically he's appalled by what yeah, Lennon no, said. Yeah, no, he came out this uh, yeah. Uh, other Scottish clubs have came out and said that Lennon's wrong. But I think the interesting thing about this meeting, like I said, is the politics of Celtic. He's clearly came out and went against what John Kennedy said about the trip. He's came out and disagreed with what Lowell said to this trip. And I think it basically shows that Celtic are split completely down the middle mm-hmm. in regards to, you know, where they're going. And, you know, Lennon's time has been really coming to an end for a long, long time. And I think the, the result of that interview was, I think he's just had enough and he just exploded. And it's been coming for something. I mean, I think as well, we, we can spend a whole two hours speaking about a meal then and special, but we're not going to do that tonight. But um, I think the final thing I would like uh, say, would say in this issue before we move on um, is, um, and, and I mentioned to you as well, that um, the Celtic Football Club uh, put it on the YouTube channel and Twitter, the, the press conference, not live, but, um, you know, it's after the, the press conference where they egg it down and put it online and stuff like that, and fans can watch it and comment on um, what Neil was saying before the game. But I think it's quite interesting that uh, Kreskin this week, Matthew, that um, Celtic did, did not put the press conference up on the YouTube and on the Celtic channel. And I was saying to you, I don't know if Celtic was embarrassed about Neil's press conference or whatever, but what I found interesting was they were interviewing Scott Brown the next day. So that would be Tuesday before the game on Wednesday night. And as soon as that press conference was finished, guess what? They pick it up. So they, they pick it up on YouTube and uh, the Celtic channel. So I don't know if Celtic was embarrassed about the way that Neil Lennon handled the press conference or what have you. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think they were embarrassed to a point, and I think what they were embarrassed about was that 
it was so off the party line. Mm. You know, if you think about above the players, I think Celtic is a political institution as, as such. And there is politics at play in the boardroom and, you know, in the coaching staff and things like that. And because Neil Lennon went so off script, you know, so off what Celtic were, the noises Celtic were giving out. You know, like I said, Kennedy was apologetic. Kennedy admitted that Celtic had broke protocol. Lawwell was um, apologetic in a sort of off-the-cuff way um, about Celtic's trip and admitted they, they failed to read the room on COVID and things like that. But because Lennon was in that absolute flip of the script, you know, like Lennon came out and said he wasn't apologetic about anything. There wasn't any COVID breaches. Uh, they did the right things. They were professional. All these things that were not the noises coming out in the top brass at Celtic Park. The Celtic, I think, were embarrassed that they couldn't put it on their... Um, their, their media channels was because it was so off the party line and you know it, it, I suppose it has been criticised now in many parties like I said it's been criticised all the way up to the Scottish government and that's not what Celtic wanted at this point and that's why they were embarrassed to put up Neil Lennon's interview um, for basically holding his own um, mm-hmm. like I said whether you agree with it or don't agree with it I don't personally agree with what he said um, I think just I just think uh, Dubai was wrong full stop I don't mm-hmm. think there's any defending yeah. it. But the only thing I would say about Neil Lennon is he's came out punching. You know, I think he knows his job's on the line. He knows it's over. And I think he's thought, well, now it's time to give back to those who've been giving me all the criticism from in, not just out, you know, definitely from in. And he came out swinging on Monday. Mm. The, and, that, and that's not... We've not been spoke about the Celtic game yet, but I don't think we would need to speak about the Celtic game. But anyway, Celtic's not got a game now till Wednesday night. Uh, they play Hamilton in the league, and there's a full card on Wednesday night as well, Matthew. But well, do you know what? I would I would quickly say one thing about the game. I mean, obviously, um, and I'm going to mention it from a Livingston point of view as well because obviously there's been you know there's been a talk about ten in a row this year and finally ten in a row is over and the title race is gone. But there was a ten in a row that happened on Wednesday. Um, Livingston managed ten mm. in a row games without losing. Yeah, um, and I must admit it's it's to Livingston's credit because not only did Livingston play well at Celtic Park and came away with a fair result, Livingston made seven changes on Wednesday night. And still managed to come out, come away with a two-two draw, um, leading up to the cup semi-final this weekend. So I think Livingston managed to impress, even with their sort of reserve team out. A lot of players, including For- James Forrest's brother, a lot of them did put in a very good shift. Livingston yeah. looked very impressive and fully deserved their draw. And yeah, like I said, I think the new man at Livingston, um, even though I was a bit critical as to how he got the job in the first place. Because um, I'm always a bit funny about how the, the politics of that played out. But I think he has done a really good job. And like I said, he's managed to get 10 in a row games without losing. And I think Livingston put that up on their social media uh, on Wednesday night. So fair play to them. It's been a, they go into the semi final in a very high run of form. And all the, all the, the sort of, even though everybody's criticising Celtic, I think it's, it's right and proper that Livingston get pretty, a, a decent amount of credit for Wednesday's performance. Like I said, not even with their full team out. And I think the manager even said his wife, his wife had said, don't do it, don't drop all these players. And he stuck to his guns, gave some of the players a chance, gave the, some of the first team players a chance, and they still managed to get a 2-2 draw out of it. So fair play to the West Indian team. 
You mentioned Gary Livingston there, um, then a big semi-final tomorrow against uh, Smithland. Sorry, that's Sunday, that game. But the game tomorrow is uh, St. Johnson and Hibs, and that's going to be a very interesting game, I think. Yeah, I mean, obviously Hibs have, Hibs have been on a pretty bad run of form uh, up until the last couple of games. They've obviously managed to pick up a draw at Celtic Park. They won the last day out. Um Fight. So I think Hibs are finally starting to stop that rot. They had a little bit of a break coming up to the Celtic game thanks to Dubai. Um, I think Hibs were probably, even though it was a disaster about the whole COVID testing and things like that, I think the little bit of a two, three day break that Hibs actually got from that did them pretty well. And since they've came back from that, like I said, they're undefeated. So if I, you know, Hibs, I mean, Hibs are a massive club. And Hibs should be in these games near enough every year. I think they should be in the top four every year, to be perfectly frank. Um, and Jack Ross is obviously urging his players to learn from recent hand and pain um, going into this game against St. Johnson. But the good thing about having no Celtic and no Rangers in this is that we're going to finally see a new, um, a new sort of name on the trophy. And it makes things a bit interesting because really anybody out of these last four teams could actually win the trophy. Um, and I don't know who would be favourites, actually. I mean, on Borm, you would suggest, actually, Livingston are maybe favourites to go on and lift this trophy. Um, but obviously, in this game, St. Johnson are in their own cup, uh, cup history as well. They won their last game out as well. So um, it should be a very interesting game at hand. And you would expect Hibs to, to be able to still go on and win this. And it would be good for uh, Lewis Stevenson. I think he, if they manage to go on and win this game, but also go on and win the trophy... You know, Lewis Stevenson is up there with the famous five in regards to trophies at Hibs. But, the, the you know, I think that's the thing that Hibs have got to do. The pressure's now on. I think for the as a, as a fan base, Hibs are probably expected to go on and win this trophy. They've won the League Cup in 2007. They were beaten finalists in 2016. They lost to Celtic at the semi-final stage last year and what was a very good game at Hamden. So Hibs will be looking to go on and win some silverware, which they deserved this year. Um, and they're obviously hoping to do the next stage and get to the final. And I think, uh, I can see Hibs going on and maybe winning this game. Um, but it should be an interesting, interesting semi-final. All the games are interesting this weekend. And, and, and like I said, it's because every team really is going in in good form. Mm. And you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be shocked if any of them come through to the final, would you? Because... Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's. I mean, it's wide open as well because, as you were saying, that there's no any of the old firm in there. No, and and that's what makes it. I mean, normally in these games, because because of the COVID situation, everything's taken a bit longer. But all of the teams really are coming in in good form. You know, St. Uh even though their last sort of five haven't been great, but generally they've picked up since the start of the season. They had a very poor start and they picked up since then. So you wouldn't bet against St Mirren doing something in this tro- in this competition. Like I said, Livingston have won three of the last five. They've not lost in ten games. They're go- they've and obviously drew with Celtic twice in the last week. So they're going into this game, the the Livingston St Mirren game in good form too. Uh, and like him, St Johnson again, St Johnson have not lost in the last four league games. They've won one and drew three. So they're they're pretty difficult to beat and break down. St. Johnson and Hibs, obviously, they were on a bad run of form, I must admit, but the last two games since this, the COVID-induced uh, the, the COVID uh, Dubai break, 
uh, Hibs have actually recovered a little bit and managed to pick up a little bit where they left off before the, the run of three defeats in a row. So, I, like I said, any of these teams really could get to the final. Any of these teams could win the competition. And that's what makes it interesting. Obviously, Hibs are the biggest team out of the four left. Um, but like you said as well, because there's no old firm teams in the competition, it's going to be wide open. And I think that's what makes Scottish football in the League Cup this year interesting because you want to see different winners. You want to see uh, a pretty open field. And we've got that in the League Cup this year. And then you've got another interesting game on Sunday. Livingston against Mithen. Now, St Mithen, um, Livingston, as you say, is had won 10 in a row and they're go- going quite well. But um, St Mithen is on a good run of form at the moment um, over the past couple of weeks. Okay, they haven't won, but they picked up points as well, as well and also in the quarterfinals we beat, they beat uh, Rangers I think they took them to extra time in that game no I saw that I think it was done in 90 minutes that game so there you go that's another kind of interesting game as well I mean I know the St Mirren manager was actually at uh, the, what was it called the Pasta Bowl whatever it is in Livingston um, yeah, the Pasta Bowl yeah <laughs> They were actually, he was at the game, I think, to see Livingston mm. play. And it was quite interesting then to see Livingston actually sort of drop seven players and give them a rest coming up to that semi final. Because as Livingston are, and they're right insane, you know, it's not every day that a team like Livingston get to a semi final at Hamden and get a chance to go on and lift a trophy. So I think Livingston were right to do that. It makes St. Mirren's task a little harder because they won't be able to see the players that probably will start on Sunday up close. But what St Mirren, you know, the manager did come away and say was that, you know, it shows the strength and depth in Livingston at the moment. You know, not only did their first 11 are able to not lose 10 in the, or 9 in the spin as it was because on Wednesday they put out a basic reserve team, but it shows you that if there are players injured or there are players who aren't performing on the day, Livingston can make changes and substitutions that won't impact uh, the quality of their play or the style of their play. Um, they're a very well set up club. They're a very well set up unit. Um, and St Martin actually even though I said that they've got a chance and goodness they do have a chance um, Livingston will be very confident coming into this game uh, and I would expect Livingston to actually go through uh, and, and get to the final because um, they are they have cemented themselves as a top six team they have proven that they can compete with the best whether it's their first team or their second team they can compete with those teams at the top uh, they have went Easter Road. They have beat Hibs, Hibs there. So it'll be a very tough game for Livingston, for St Mirren to come to Hamden and be able to compete with this team on such a rich vein of form. So who's your final then, Matthew? I think I know Livingston against Hibs. Yeah. I was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know me too well, yeah. I, yeah, I would, yeah. <laughs> I would suggest it'll be a, a wet, a east of Scotland derby in the west. I think oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, well done. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we've got two small matters of league games as we can. Aberdeen against Motherwell, that's a kind of Tesco game. And Rangers is at home to Ross County. Yeah, I mean, Ross County won last week. Um, and a pretty, I mean, it was quite a, a shock in some ways because I thought Aberdeen would have went into Ross County and won convincingly, but the opposite happened. 
So, and goodness, even for Aberdeen, you know, because of that result, Aberdeen are now, some fans are suggesting that Derek McInnes should be sacked. Um, I think Ross County, even though they won that game, though, going to Ibrox is a very, very, very difficult, or playing Rangers is a very difficult task. Um, and even though they've been on a little bit of a run in the sense that they've won two of the last five, um, and John Hughes, Yogi Hughes, has, um, has, has, has improved Ross County style of play, but has also improved their, their fight, their will to win. I just can't see past Rangers. I thought Rangers actually were quite poor against Motherwell. They weren't at their best last weekend. Mm. But it just shows you Motherwell took the lead. But then Rangers still came back. They didn't look like losing. And Rangers still managed to scramble a result. Um, they've won, obviously, four of the last five. The draw at Motherwell was probably their poorest performance, but they still managed to not lose. It's going to be, I think, I, I like to give... I like to give teams chances and you never know because Ross County performed so well last weekend because they're upset you never know but again Rangers are just playing so well they've only conceded 7 goals in 24 they've scored 60 in 24 um, they've actually conceded less goals than Celtic have conceded this year just at set pieces alone so if you think Celtic have conceded this year 25 goals from set pieces Rangers have only conceded 7 in the league full stop Uh so, yeah, it's going to be, I think, too difficult a task for Ross County, but they might make a fight of it, hopefully. Um, yeah, so, just a quick mention before we move on, Matthew. Um, I don't know if you saw this news uh, came out today, actually, about all 42 SPL clubs have been asked if they support using the concussion subs, say that again, concussion subs all the way <laughs> to the end of the season. And they have been asked to vote on it. And the deadline is the 1st of uh, September. Um, now, I know that English, the English Premiership has agreed to trial this um, on this coming Wednesday, well, next Wednesday now, at some other games in the Premiership. But I think that's a good idea, Matthew, especially at the moment, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think other other sports have realised, I think, the importance of having concussion substitutes and, and concussion protocols in place. Um, you know, obviously, rugby in particular, you've had... Um, you've had obviously clubs and players coming out and saying that you know players have been seriously injured having concussion and having to be able to having to continue to play. Uh, like I said in the NFL, you had you know the helmets causing concussion, and now they have protocols where not only are, are players taken out of the game, but they have um, assessments during the week to see if you're not only um, fit to play even on a game to game basis, but fit to play full stop the next week. So there are important protocols in place in the NFL. And I think football really is catching up. And to me, it's common sense to support concussion substitutions for the rest of the season and concussion protocols full stop. Um, because I think it is such an important thing, especially now when we were seeing, you know, cases in England of players getting mental health problems or getting dementia symptoms or dementia from um either headroom footballs or concussion concussions in the long term I think it's time football comes up and makes guidelines in regards to permanent substitutions in the event of head injuries um, and, to, and to you know just to make sure that players are 
properly assessed, medically assessed, before not only one maybe coming back onto the pitch in that game, but like I said, properly assessed in the lead-up to the next game to see if those players are, are safe enough and uh, healthy enough to play. There the was, um, the, the was one other bit of news today um, involving, not football, um, involving athletics, because I don't know if you remember me talking about this a few weeks ago, Matthew, on the show, or I think it was before Christmas, actually. The British Athletics Indoor Championships was due to take place in Glasgow in February at the Emirates Arena um, across the road from Celtic Park, if you know where Celtic Park is, <laughs> and and the Emirates. Um, <laughs> but, um, well, you might see this was a lot of events this year. Uh, that event was a British uh, Athletics Indoor Championships was meant to be held in February, but it's been cancelled now due to the coronavirus. And I suppose that um, disappointing, but I could see where they're coming from. But just by looking at um, all the other kind of events, sporting and non-sporting events that I saw last night, that uh, Glastonbury has been cancelled as well. So. Not only that uh, the events has been cancelled last year, but it's kind of eaten into this year as well. And it's a shame to see, but you, you can understand in a way. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's devastating. I think all the sporting events are still being cancelled, like you said. I mean, I think this will drag on a lot longer than we all expected it to drag on. And, you know, it might drag on into the tail end of next year, or this year, into next year. Um, and like you said, Glastonbury's coming up, Transmit's coming up in Glasgow, and uh, mm. all the sporting events that, like you were saying, I mean, I think you're going to bring up um, the, the Olympics and Paralympics yeah. and stuff, and maybe now is a good time to jump in before I say what I'm going to say. But I think I, I think all these events are now in in danger of uh, being cancelled, probably up to you know the summer time at the very least. Yeah, well, I guess before Matthew um, um, jumps back in there with uh, his news and the rugby and stuff like that, um, we, um, the, the Olympics and the Paralympics was meant to be last year, Matthew, uh, over in Tokyo, but obviously it's been cancelled uh, due to the coronavirus. But the president, or the president has basically came out and said that the... The uh, the Olympics will go ahead uh, this year. Um, the Olympics will take place in August, I think it is, and the Paralympics will. Uh, oh no, sorry, hold on. Um, I'm getting mixed up here as I uh, waffle a lot of rubbish as usual. Um, yeah, so the. <laughs> Jump uh, to the chance that. Meow, meow, meow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We've got cheap sound effects in this show. Um, yeah, Brought to you by Matthew. And it's sponsored by Matthew in his ukulele. Um, yeah, so basically the Olympic Games will be will take place in the 23rd of July of this year. And the programme and venues of the Games will be announced very soon. And also after that, you've got the Paralympics in August as well. So, I mean, that's good to see, Matthew, that the Olympics has gone ahead, the Paralympics as well. But I'm not going to guarantee that there'll be people there to see it. 
No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I saw the head of the Olympic Committee coming out in in Japan. Um, was it this week saying that it was unimaginable and unplanned for to have this tournament without fun, fans being there? Now, I, I took that as initially as being well, whether there's that that there was going to be fans there and that there was going to be a tournament. But then when I look back at it, I thought, well, it's unimaginable and not planned for to have fans there. Does that mean? Does that mean actually that he thinks that if there's no fans there, will it be postponed or cancelled full stop? Because mm-hmm. like at the start, I just thought, well, yeah, he's he's quite confident that the fans are going to be there. And you mentioned July, you know, he is quite confident that fans are going to be there. That's pretty good looking for the Olympics coming up. But yeah, I just thought, is, does that quote actually mean that he thinks that if there's no fans in July due to COVID, it's going to be postponed again or or cancelled and that worried me a little bit when I looked into what he was actually saying. So I'm none the wiser as to whether there will be a tournament in, in the summer. And I don't know whether it'll be cancelled or not because um, his, his statement, while sounding positive initially, does leave a little bit of question marks as to what where that leaves the Olympics in Tokyo. Mm, yeah, I, we, we just have to wait and see. But I, I mean, I like watching the Olympics, but we a bit weird. Like everything else at the moment, when you're watching the oh, and there's no... Um, there's no any fans there, you know. Um, so we just have to wait and see. But we might, I might come back with an update on on that uh, <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. And also speaking about the uh, Olympics, um, I don't know if you know. I'm going to remember uh, Duncan Scott, uh, Matthew from uh, Team Scotland in the Commonwealth Games. Um, it's uh, he's a swimmer. Well, the swimming team is to be announced, I think it's next week or the next couple of weeks, actually. And he's favourite to be in Team GB. So, I mean, it's good to see uh, a Scott in the Olympic Games. And also, you've got Adam Petey. Uh, Adam Petey is a famous uh, swimmer uh, from uh, England, but he's also on Team GB as well. So they are be they they are they are expecting to be announced in the next couple of weeks of the team. But one team one team that has been announced this week is the rugby. Yeah, I mean we're getting to that stage now where all us rugby fans start to get really excited. And you know we had the Edinburgh Glasgow game last week that I might mention um, later on, but. You know, head coach Gregor Townsend has has announced his squad for the uh, Guinness Pro uh, the Guinness um, Guinness the Six Nations coming up. I'm getting all my Pro 14 things mixed up now. Um, he has announced the Six Nations squad coming up. Um, and they first obviously the first game that we're getting excited about. They begin their campaign with a Calcutta Cup showdown against England at Twickenham on the sixth of February. So the squad's been announced. It was an interesting one because. Um, he announced players that possibly were a bit sh- shocking, like Cameron Redpath. Um, you know that he plays for Bath, um, and it was, a, and he's a centre there. And it's a bit of a, str- it was a bit of a strange choice, but um, the twenty-one-year-old uh, Cameron Redpath actually represented England under twenties, um, and he had been called up by Eddie Jones. Um, he didn't receive a full cap, thank goodness for Scotland, but he he was called up by Eddie Jones. But now. Uh, Gregor Townsend has high hopes for him and he was um, he was put into the squad so that was a bit of a shock Townsend although had to confirm that Edinburgh kicker Stuart McNally 
uh, is likely to miss the entire championship with a neck injury. So it means Scotland will be without both of their regular frontline hookers, with Fraser Brown also ruled out of the tournament through injury. Um, but there are, again, those negatives alongside Red Path, though. Edinburgh hooker David Cherry will come in. Sale Sharks hooker uh, Ewan Ashman will come in. And Gloucester Lock Alex Craig will come in to make their debuts. So that's positive. Uh, also, the big player that I like to see, Finn Russell. And like I say, I always go on about it. Um, the last rugby game I went to, he played against Munster in Tobin Park. And he was probably the best player in the park. Uh, Finn Russell will return to the uh, Six Nations after missing the Autumn Nations Cup with a shoulder injury. So he should be back for the game against England. And also in the squad, our Newcastle front back rower, uh, Gary Graham, uh, sail winger McGuigan, and Glasgow Warriors hooker Grant Stewart, and prop Alan Dell will come in. And like I said, the first game of that will be the big game against uh, the English at Twickenham on the 6th of February. Come on, Scotland. Matthew's not biased at all when he says that. Um, but again, that'll be another weird experience with, with no fans as well, especially um, Scott, the old enemy meeting first and there's no fans there. Well, it's in England, so it's okay. It's only the English that'll lose it there. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on that? Um, yeah, so, yeah, we'll, we'll keep our eye on the rugby because I think it's on for a few weeks as well, so... Well, I would like to watch rugby and yes, come on, Scotland, do it for Scotland. I get yeah. frustrated with the rugby because Scotland always we're all see, I always get confident before these games and you can hear my voice and obviously we've spoke about Scotland before and I always get excited before the games and Scotland are coming in on good form and they're they're starting to show progress and you know it's getting very positive and then they always let me down. So this time, please Townsend and the squad do it for Scotland. Finally, just do something that you've been threatening to do for a decade or more. <laughs> well, I mean, what one sport is? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing quite well with, with my lunch last week, Matthew, because one sport is about to finish, another sport is beginning. Rugby, but um, in a few weeks' time, it's the end of the NFL. See if I gig that, Matthew. Um, <laughs> the um. Super Bowl is next week, I think you said. Um, but there's action this week on the NFL. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll quickly just say uh, the Glasgow Warriors-Edinburgh game, because I was going to mention that just before oh, I mentioned yeah, the NFL. Yeah, yeah. It was a cracking game last weekend, and that's why I'm so confident about the Scotland rugby the, uh, Six Nations campaign. Because normally, if the Glasgow-Edinburgh game is good and uh, entertaining, uh, that has a good sign in regards to a lot of these players who then go on to play uh, in the Six Nations and the final score last week was Glasgow 23 Edinburgh 22 it was a, it was such a close game and Glasgow you know even though they won by one point they had the last minute let off um, after you know Edinburgh missed a conversion of a try in the last seconds of the game so Edinburgh were winning 10-9 at half time they were losing by a point coming into the last minute you know uh, or they did lose unfortunately by a point in the last minute for them um, they did get a try, but the conversion was missed and Glasgow won the game by a point. So Glasgow move up to fourth in the Pro 14 standings uh, in their group and Edinburgh remain second bottom in Conference B. Um, it's been challenging for them, but that game at the weekend was very, very entertaining and it bodes well for the Six Nations uh, Six Nations coming up. But now, yeah, the NFL's on. The, the Super, we're in the penultimate 
week of the NFL season. Uh, the Super Bowl is coming up, uh, not next week, but the week after. Uh, but this is the penultimate week of the Super Bowl. It's the, champ- the championship games, the AFC and NFC championships, with the winners going on to play in the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay this year. Um, and hopefully there's some fans there. That, there's some singer singing at halftime as well, but only my daughter knows who it is. Uh, I think the singer sings about the weekend or something. I don't is know. Is it not you and your ukulele now? I see, I think I could have done the Super Bowl yeah. song. Yeah, I, could, I could have went out in my mankini and started going... Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe not mankini, but... <laughs> yeah, um, maybe not. Too cold. <laughs> yeah, my hairy backside. I don't think yeah. the people in Florida are ready for it. <laughs> I'm just as I'm so happy you take Kelly back there and nothing else. <laughs> Can you imagine me stoting down the the Miami Beach and my speedos? Um, no, I don't, don't know if they, uh, I don't know if they have kebabs over there. <laughs> <laughs> get my get my mankini trapped on the lamppost or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go, Matthew. It always gets a bit more a bit further than me, but get, there you go. Nice to see Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, the first game this weekend, and it could be, it's probably the, the most entertaining game, but it's got a bit of a twist because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in the NFC Championship against Green Bay Packers. So not only is it the greatest quarterback of all time from a success point of view, Tom Brady, against arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of play, um, of play maybe worldwide, is Aaron Rodgers. So it's Tom Brady... Success, Aaron Rodgers, quality. Um, don't, I think the thing with this is ta- Tampa Bay could be the first team to get to a home Super Bowl in the Super Bowl winner. So Tampa Bay Buccaneers have got that bit of history um, that they could actually get. So not only get to a Super Bowl, a home Super Bowl is unheard of. So Tampa Bay have that bit of history um, behind them. But... It's going to be a tough game. From a Green Bay side, Green Bay Packers are at home. Um, they've also got a balanced offence, like I said, with Aaron Rodgers. Their run game is um, is very good as well. Yeah, like I said, Aaron Rodgers is probably the best quarterback right now in the NFL. Uh, they just look calm, composed. They never look worried. Even when they're losing games, they never look stressed. They know they've got a game plan. They know they can stick to it. I mean, talking about the beach earlier on, I mean, it does look like Aaron Rodgers is. It does. No, it does look like Aaron Rodgers is playing well on the beach because he just looks so confident and calm. They never look like they're going to get be worried. Their defense is doing quite well as well. So, from a Green Bay Packers side, it looks very, very confident um, or very, very good that they could get the Super Bowl. From the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' point of view. They're a sneaky team, you know. They were they were kind of there or thereabouts throughout the season, and then all of a sudden, Tom Brady got things going with his offense. Defensively, they've always been quite good. Tom Brady's been in this um, this many many times before. He's he's won more he's won more um, playoff games than most NFL teams have in their whole history. Tom Brady, so Tom Brady knows how to get it done. Gronkowski knows how to get it done. They've got weapons all over that pitch offensively. Defensively as well, they look very, very good. Whether they can stop Aaron Rodgers, I'm not quite sure. But like I said, they've got weapons all over the all over the park, defensively and offensively. I actually don't know where this game is going to go. I would suggest that Green Bay Packers, because they're at home, might have the edge. But when you've got Tom Brady with his with his um, abilities, 
to win playoff games, to win championship games, to win Super Bowls. You can never write Tampa Bay Buccaneers out. And therefore, there's a very, there's a chance that this game could go all the way. And there is still that chance, like I say, that Tampa Bay will get into uh, a home Super Bowl. But I would just edge Green Bay Packers out. I think they might just have too much for Tampa Bay this time around. But it's one of those games, like we were saying about the League Cup semi-finals. You just don't know where this one's going to go. And it's quite funny because the next game is Buffalo Bills. Now, the, the Buffalo Bills, strangely enough, just to say, if they did get to the Super Bowl, they've had a long history with Tom Brady at New England Patriots. Uh, Buffalo Bills are in their conference. Uh, sorry, um, the New England Patriots are in the Buffalo Bills conference and they've had to play Tom Brady and Gronk time after time. And wouldn't it be funny if Buffalo Bills finally get rid of Tom Brady out of their conference? They finally think they've got shot of him. And the first Super Bowl they get to, ironically, they could be up against uh, Tom Brady. So they must be pulling their hair out thinking, how do we get rid of this guy who <laughs> has such a good record against them? Um, but I think Green Bay might have too much for them uh, in this game. And Green Bay might go on to the Super Bowl. Uh, the AFC Championship's the last game. Buffalo Bills at Kansas City Chiefs. And even though I was joking about the Buffalo Bills either, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. They're up against um, Patrick Mahomes. They're up against um, probably one of the best offences in the game. Um, they've got Kelsey as a tight end that's just unstoppable along with Mahomes. And he knows that if he gets the ball to, to Kelsey, there's, there's not a lot of defences that can stop them. I don't think they can stop the run against Kansas City either. Um, and I don't think def- from a um, defence point of view, they'll be able to hold Patrick Mahomes. Um, so therefore, I think Kansas City will put up a large score. And then you think, well, can uh, Kansas City defend against Josh Allen? Can they defend against uh, Stefan Diggs? Can they defend against the running game? And I think... <laughs> I think Tyron Matthew on the Kansas City, not to say his name just because it's me, but I think his skills on the ball in that Kansas City defence might be able to stop uh, Buffalo Bills in their tracks. So I think this game could be a large score and I think Kansas City Chiefs will win that. So I can see a Kansas City Chiefs Green Bay Packers Super Bowl in two weeks' time at Tampa Bay. So there you go. <clears throat> you should actually put on a bet, Matthew, for the Super Bowl kind of final um, and the League Cup final, who will get to the final, and then when, <laughs> and then when you put it on, I'll be the two opposite teams that will be in the final. It's always a way. See when see when you're thinking to yourself, you always get it right. But then when you put your mm. opinion out there or you make a bet, it always goes wrong. I don't know why that happens. But yeah, I mean that's how I don't go out of the house at the moment. Um, <laughs> Um, if you want to listen to the show again, you can download it the podcast. Just go on to indie.indielivereggo. And uh, if you want to comment on anything that me and Matthew said, or uh, do you want a ukulele lesson from Matthew, uh, he's available Monday to Friday over Zoom. Um, you can email, um, uh, and I bet you if people's just turning on tonight, uh, there was that posse on about you, Kaveri. Um, but um, <laughs> you can email him at the uh, you can email us even at lockerroomindelive at gmail.com. That's lockerroomindelive at gmail.com. Now, Matthew, um, have you ever heard of someday uh, changing sport? Um, not successfully, no. <laughs> 
Right, okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I changed my walking football days to running football. Maybe. Sorry, that was a bad joke there. Um. So yeah. So this guy uh, played for the Glasgow Warriors, who you mentioned earlier on, uh, Mickey Campbell. No, not Lee Mickey Campbell. Um, it's on the TV. Mickey Campbell uh, played for the Glasgow Warriors. He's he played there for eight, eight years, believe it or not. And um, yeah, he's is um, changing sports, Matthew. He's he's making his professional boxing debut in a few months' time. Yeah, so, I mean it's interesting. I mean when yeah. you see him, when you see the guy, uh, obviously he was a former lock at Glasgow Warriors. Yeah, um, he's he's got the he's got the build to be a decent boxer. Obviously, you don't see much. Uh, I mean, obviously in rugby, you're not allowed to start punching punching people. <laughs> so you can't tell from a boxing point of view how good he's going to be. But he's got the build, uh, being a lock, and he's actually you know he's obviously looking at his professional boxing debut. But it's funny, I'm obviously in Ireland and I'm in Belfast a lot because he's actually joined a Belfast fighting club. Oh, okay. So not yeah. So not only is he, you know, I think he was a. Uh, not only is he obviously leaving rugby, but he's leaving Scotland to come over to Belfast. So it's an interesting change of career, and it's an interesting change of location for him. But you know, he, he didn't have a bad career in rugby. You know, he was a he was a former Scotland under twenty representative. Um, he made ten appearances for the Glasgow Warriors in what was the Pro Twelve between two thousand and eleven and twelve after joining Glasgow Warriors in 2009. Um, and obviously following that, he moved on to the English Championship. He joined Jersey Reds in 2013. And he had a four-year spell in England's second tier of rugby, which came to an end in 2017, uh, when he decided that actually he was going to try and change his rugby boots for the, the boxing gods. So I think he, he thought about it for a while, but obviously now it's coming to light. Um that he's, he's decided to change sports. Um, and the 31-year-old has since dominated the amateur level of the sport. I mean, he's won the Scottish Super Heavyweight crown. Um, so, you know, when he decided to change, he's went through the amateur ranks, but now he's looking to join a professional, the professional ranks and he's came to Belfast. So, um, you know, training alongside some of the... He's trained alongside some of the best. I mean, the likes of European cruiserweight, Tommy McCarthy, British lightweight champion, James Tennyson. Um Campbell will be based in at the Gronk Gym, uh, Gronk Gym in Belfast, so that won't be that far away from me. I was thinking Gronk as in Gronk, the NFL player. That's what I was thinking about Gronkowski. Um, so he'll be actually based in Belfast, and he's really looking forward to it. And fair play to him. Not only does he have the bottle to have to have changed sports initially, and uh, did well in the amateur game, he's now going to be boxing professionally and alongside. Uh, pretty much a raft of prominent Irish uh, boxers in Belfast, so fair play to the guy. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, um, I mean, um, he's been an amateur for a few years now, and um, he's won 11 out, of, um, 11 out of his 15 fights, so he must be some boxer, and also he's a Scottish super heavyweight, um, and as I say, he's hoping to make his boxing debut in a few weeks. But I was going to say, Matthew, that I don't know a lot of people at that the change sports. You might have heard that um, through, you know, Olympic sports and para-Olympic sports, but in terms of uh, rugby 
um, or maybe the other way about, maybe you haven't heard of any boxers taking up rugby or taking up football. Um, I mean, one person comes to mind and um, it was uh, Usain Bolt. And then he played football, didn't he, for a wee, a wee while for a team? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there was, yeah, he tried his best. I mean, I think he was told by some of the best football players of all time um, that he had the chance to change from sprinting, obviously, uh, to, to, to have a chance at football. And I think that, I think, obviously, it's maybe not worked out as well as he was hoped. But there was rumours that he'd even trained at some of these top teams as well. Like, and there was rumours mm. about him coming to Celtic. Come on, point those are not like ridiculous rumours. Really? Um, but I mean, the one. Yeah, I mean, but there was there was rumours that um, I mean, obviously there was rumours that he was even talking to Alex Ferguson and stuff. So, did you regret scoring uh, Royal of the Rollers magazine? No, <laughs> we could be the new Celtic manager mm. uh, going on Lawwell's past. Uh, <laughs> could be, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, the the one sport that comes to mind where you find a lot of people change is rugby league to rugby union. Mm. And vice versa. So I mean, there's obviously change. There's different rules in that. So um, obviously, I don't want to go into it too much. But thirteen players are obviously in rugby league, uh, rugby unions, fifteen sides, and there's lots of different rule changes in that. So it sounds like the same sport, but it's not obviously. Um, and there's a few players who have changed. Like for example, the current Ireland manager, the current one of the current the current England um, one of the top England players. A lot of them actually came from Wigan rugby league. Uh, and changed to rugby union once it became professional. So there is a conveyor belt of players uh, who have moved from rugby league to rugby union and vice versa. I mean, even people like Sam Burgess, uh, Sonny Bill Williams uh, in New Zealand, people like that have changed quite often, but not obviously as um, it's a bit different going from rugby union to boxing. It's quite a big jump, but obviously it's quite strange. I think his, his change to boxing wasn't by chance. Uh, I think when he was at the... He was at the Jersey Reds, you know. He met, he kept meeting up with people. Uh, he met with boxing promoter and manager Mark Dunlop quite a lot. So I think his move, even though it sounds a bit strange, has been very well calculated, and he's thought about it for a long time. And uh, obviously, then he made the jump finally to the amateur status. Now he's going professional. Um, so even though rugby means a lot to him, and I think he has admitted that a special place in his heart will always be at rugby. Um, I think he knew that he was maybe not going to get to the top level of the rugby sport and because he's done well so well at boxing eventually he's decided to take it a stage further in the boxing and fair play to him. Yeah, yeah. I as soon as I saw that score I was quite surprised, but obviously in a good way. And you know, you know, uh, we we kind of like wish him luck and stuff um uh, as they move forward. But it must be some boxing after this He's um, won so many fights in the amateur boxing and obviously he's a, a Scottish superweight heavyweight. Yeah, I mean, he's he, he's obviously, like I said, I, I saw him play rugby a few times and he has got the build. I never imagined him being a boxer. But mm. Obviously, he's went on uh, and he's he's done quite well in the amateur game and he's now obviously going to take it a stage further. But there was another change, actually, you were talking to fit this in with a change of scenery. This oh, well week. done, yes. Uh, and to fit, and to, to go back to even the, the NFL, a time before that, an American, you know, I'd just like to say quickly about Lachlan Cameron, um, to fit in with him. He oh, yeah, en- yeah. yeah uh, he actually ended his 16-year Somerset Park tenure last week. Um, he he's moved on and left there in the capable hands of somebody who's actually in there. Yeah, I think he felt that 
um, he was maybe too far away to enforce the change that he wanted at Air United. So therefore, after 16 years, he's decided to hang up his uh, his suit, his air suit and shoes, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, move on and let someone local take over. So he's left, but he's not left without a parting shot. So, I mean, the, the thing I loved about Lack on Cameron was he was just honest about the game. He, he was taken in from, he takes in what he knew about American sports, and he tried to develop that in Scotland. Whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, he actually did that. And he's actually came out and said on the way out, he had a parting shot at the top flight clubs in, in uh, Scotland and said that their power base is not good for the Scottish game and suggests that the voting structure, by means of how, how it has, uh, by how the voting structure works, not only at the top but the bottom, means that lower league clubs are hamstrung by this. And the change that should have happened has not been allowed to happen. And while the 11 to 1 majority of premiership clubs uh, is needed, the financial distribution and the distribution of the leagues will never be the way Scottish football needs it to be. While the top clubs, and in particular the top two clubs, because of the 11 to 1 majority have the power, the change won't happen in Scotland football that's needed won't happen. And I tend to agree with him. I think he's spot on. Well, there you go. He goes out with how many. People in Scottish football, Matthew, goes out with a parking shot. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, game. A, it's a week for it. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose we are going out with a, a, a shot as well, because that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget you can email us, um, or you can find us on Facebook. <laughs> and for our listening this week, I've got his voice. Um, yeah. we'll meet again. <laughs> don't know when, yeah. We don't know, we do know when, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and that's not a lie, we don't know when. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you can download the podcast, just go to uh, Indie, got Indie Live, got Rego, and we'll see you again next Friday at six or seven here on Indie Live's Rego. So, uh, have a good week, have a good weekend. Enjoy the football if you can, and we'll see you next week here on Andy Live Radio.